in this episode, I get to do a little bit of hero worship. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Welcome back to the Sea and Land Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Sano. This podcast is brought to you by Sea and Land Fitness. We just got some new hats in, a little bit of red. We got navy blue. We got a bunch of other stuff. Um, Head on over to the website, www.sandlfit, that's sandlfit.com and check it out all right um as you probably noticed uh from the intro i'm gonna be super excited about doing this episode so i have the absolute honor and pleasure of having jeff gerwich on this podcast uh jeff is a reti- is retired from the united states army special forces that's the green berets guys um and he he retired as an 18 zulu a team sergeant uh he did nine combat deployments starting with the 1991 first gulf war and then three tours in iraq and three tours in afghanistan during the global war on terror taught as the lead combat marksmanship instructor at uh the svartek which is this enormous acronym which basically is the special forces advanced reconnaissance target analysis breathe and exploitation techniques course it's an advanced cqb course he has been a contributing writer for defensereview.com swap magazine american cop and is also the owner and primary instructor at modern tactical shooting in north carolina breathe again jeff welcome to the show thank you thank you for having oh me. my gosh that was i did you notice my eyeline was down because it's such a long paragraph you have a storied career sir uh i would say i'm for my era uh, in special forces, I'm probably average with a lot of the other SF guys who serve, you know, in the in the, the heart of the war on terror. Oh my so god, we're probably average. Well, I want to actually, I want to talk about that real quick in the beginning before we get into the uh, into the uh, into the questions and the meat of what this episode's about. So when I was a kid, so my uncle was in the Vietnam War. My other uncle was in the Vietnam War. They were both in the army. My dad, he was he did three tours in Vietnam as a um he was a bosun's mate. So but he was in the Brown Water Navy from like Apocalypse. Now. Yeah. He went Hardcore back. Guys. Yeah. He went back. Um my dad's hilarious. He's this little Polish guy who like I'm six foot two, terrified of the guy growing up. So when I was younger. I had to, I, I don't even think I was 10 years old yet. There was this box in the attic of one of my uncle's uh, homes, and it was National Geographics. And there was a 1963, uh, not episode, a 1963 edition of National Geographic, and it was on the Special Forces 
in Vietnam. This was before the war had really taken off and everything. Mm -hmm. And I saw what you guys did and I have been enamored by it ever since. Um, these guys had nothing. They were on their own, literally on their own behind enemy, not even behind enemy lines. They were just in an, in an entirely alien hostile environment. And that's, that's your life. Wow. Welcome to the show. Uh, that's where the hero Thank worship you. is coming from. Well, uh, yeah, you're making me feel uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Hero worship. <laughs> uh, I, I would say I, I'm, I'm the average SF guy. All right. All right. Well, you also have a show, Modern Tactical Shooting, on YouTube. And I, I you said a couple of things in, in one of the ones that I watched where they thought you were a dentist. Um, you went to yes. the, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a totally true story. The first look people think I'm a dentist or something. Yes. Well, I am here to tell you that you fit the bill because everything that I've ever learned about special forces is that you are teachers. You guys are educators. You guys go behind enemy lines and you take doctrine, data, information. You have individuals who know everything about medicine, know everything about engines, know everything about radios, know everything about every weapon system on the planet. And you're able to go in and go, oh yeah, I can fix that. And it's just your depth and detail in the stories that you tell on your YouTube channel are fascinating. And you are the consummate educator. Please continue to do what you're doing. Thank you. Of course. All right. So the reason I've brought you on the show has nothing to do with modern tactical shooting, but actually yep. will have to do with modern tactical shooting. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos on how to pass special forces selection, how to pass buds, but there are almost, I haven't found any videos on Okay, now you've done it. What are the standards? What do you do in day-to-day -day life? What's life um, in garrison? For those of you who don't know, that's in the rear when you're not out in the field, either training or doing missions. And that's why I've brought you here today. Um, and I'll just jump right into the questions if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So as I said, many have seen the numerous videos um, for BUDS, Ranger School, Ranger Battalion. Now, with that that operational tempo in mind, what is the structure within these commands for maintenance of these physical requirements and needs once these guys arrive at the units? And is it left to the individual service uh, men to maintain the standard on their own? And also, what are the repercussions for not maintaining the standards? And is there any support for those who are lagging. So I'll speak in the context of special forces because Rangers is different. SEALs is different. Okay. We all have high physical requirements. But when it comes to sustaining and maintaining, it's at the team level. So it's at that team sergeant, that team leader. They're going to define the standards for whatever their mission set they're training for. Now we have to meet army standards. We have to meet the basic army PT tests. Okay. But that's considered basic level uh, within the team itself. Uh, they're going to have their own standards. Uh, during my time, 
I measured physical fitness off of a, a PT test called the uh, UBRR, the upper body round robin. It was created at tier one units. And I use that just because it's a multi-event PT test. I use that as a gauge. Okay. So that's where the standards are. It's really set still at the team level. What is uh, so, that? I, I apologize for interrupting. What is yes. that test? So the, up, the upper body round robin uh, is, I, I was going to write it down. It's, it's okay. multiple events. It's a bench, it's a bench press. It's push-ups. It's pull-ups. Uh, it's sit-ups. It's an, a thing called kip-ups. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a shuttle run. You have a rock march or a five-mile run. And you have a rope climb in full kit. Uh, that's pass or fail. And I like it because it's a very balanced test. So I'm a strong runner. Uh, I'm a pretty slender guy. So mm -hmm. where I might be weak on the bench press, I can make up, and you're going for points, I can make it up for the run. So vice versa, if some dudes are jacked and they're built, built like Mr. Olympia and they're not strong runners, well, they can make it up in the strength exercises. So oh, I wow. think it's a lot better balance. Okay, so is that – so? Uh, uh, you brought up something that's really interesting. So the multitude of different performance standards that exist inner service and within service. So you have the Air Force, Navy, the Marine Corps, they've all got their own. The Army's got its own. And that changes which way is the wind blowing. They're, they're probably going to come out with a new fitness test in the Army soon. Uh, that's been the word. And then from what I understand, the Joint Special Operations Command has a fitness standard test. Am I incorrect on that? Yeah, you're, you're, no, that's we help each each special operations unit, Rangers, Navy SEALs, SF. We all have our own individual standards. OK, so, so uh, like uh, Navy SEALs, they're famous for their their buds. Mm -hmm. We have our of course, we have our selection. We have a team week in there. That's kind of like our gold standard to get in. But once you're in, it's up to your team, your special forces ODA. And it has you have to align it with your with whatever your mission set you're looking for. And that's where there's a lot of confusion coming in. Uh, it depends. Uh, for, I'll say, Afghanistan, if you get the commando mission where the priority is to lead Afghans on the ground, that's a high physical requirement because uh, you could be humping the mountains of Afghanistan. Whereas opposed to if you're on a team where your primary role is to do, say, surveillance type stuff, that's more low level. Uh, having high physical fitness is not a priority. Having hard and soft skills is a priority. So it really, a good team will balance their, their physical fitness to match the mission. So that's interesting because in my domain, I um, just got my master's in August from the University of Florida in applied physiology and kinesiology. And we stratify it by strength power um hypertrophy which is the the increase in muscle size and muscular endurance so i'm assuming um let's take uh, uh the commando mission in afghanistan that's going to be high in muscular endurance a lot of carbohydrates a lot of you know long slow drudging okay that's going to require strength of course all of these require strength but 
the Afghanistan mission is going to require a lot of muscular muscular endurance, which is, you know, you have the running background, which you you were able to excel at. So Afghan, I'm not going to say Afghanistan was easy physically for you, but you've, you're going to have some guys who are really, you know, oh, my gosh, <laughs> when does this mountain ever end? Whereas you were like able to maybe suck it up a little bit more. Am I incorrect on that? Well, I uh, my last tour was 2015. I was a team sergeant at 45 years old, trying to keep up with 20 somethings. And I wanted to say this. I've been looking forward to it. And the team guys I served with know the the ridge lines and mountains of a Ruzgan in Afghanistan almost broke me. It was the oh, hardest man. multi day mission I've ever done. Uh, a, a normal combat load is about 65 pounds, and that's body armor and a small day pack. And to do a multi-day op like that, it was the hardest, most physical stuff I've had to do. Wow. So, yeah, it was uh, something else. Now, but you did it. You did it. So pat yourself on the back. <laughs> give yourself <laughs> give yourself a little uh, participation trophy. And you did it. Way to go. Um, so then counter that with Svartek. So it's interesting because I took a course called um, tactical uh, strength and conditioning, and we learned about, you know, police officers, fire, military, and the different requirements. And what's interesting is if I think about Svartek, I, I was in the infantry. We did mount training, which is mobile operations urban terrain. Yep. I'm explaining this not for name. you. Yeah. I'm explaining it for anyone who's watching. Um, and that requires a lot of power. Power is moving heavy loads quickly, moving heavy loads from point A to point B in the shortest period of time. Um, and I imagine, I know what ours was like, but from what I understand, I watched another video where somebody described it and it is, it's a meat grinder. Svartik is a real like go 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 nonstop. Am, am I am I somewhere close it's on that? It's well, I would say it's different. So Afghanistan, you need long range endurance because you're going to okay. go on multi day ops with no break. Whereas, say operating in an urban environment, it's very short bursts of an intense energy. So when you've got to you know hustle from one building to another, go up and down stairs, uh, short extreme burst like get, flooding into rooms getting out of tactics. vehicles and all that yeah yeah and everything's at a rapid pace so yeah short extreme bursts as opposed to say a long endurance like a sprint versus a you know a marathon so you were with when you were in afghanistan you were with a lot of new guys um individuals who had just gotten out of the q course i'm assuming yep i oh. half my team was veterans my last tour and half the team was uh brand new guys fresh out of the course and i remember from your combat mindset video that these guys really just rose to the challenge so bravo zulu on that um now what from a fitness perspective i can understand from a combat perspective it was an eye-opening experience for them but from a fitness perspective and I'm actually wondering if they even mentioned it. You know, you want to be the tough guy. You want to show that you can do it. But you being an experienced leader, an experienced NCO, what did you notice that they struggled with or wasn't something that they might have been prepared for? Well, one is they've got youth on their side. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I joined SF. The average age was 32 when I joined SF. And so I was a young guy coming to the team at 27. Now, fast forward, the average age has dropped almost 10 years. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, I was in my mid-40s. The new guys on the team, they're coming in. They're 22, 23, and 24-year-olds. And they do they come in with great physical fitness uh not only do they have to pass selection there's a lot of prep programs they have so they do a great job of getting these guys super fit when they come to a team so that's not the issue uh, i think the hardest thing they have to adjust is probably civilian physical fitness where you really can take time to have a proper diet to really uh work out properly uh you know really have all the benefits of all you know the best there has to offer in gyms Mm-hmm. Whereas once you deploy, you don't have a good diet, depending on what, where you're working out of. The gym equipment is going to be very spartan in some areas. Uh, and of course, you're a lot more prone to injury because you're doing all this extreme stuff. Whereas before, when you're working out in a safer civilian environment, you can avoid all these injuries. So I think that's the only transition. There's no, I didn't see a lack of stamina in the young guys. And they came mm-hmm. with that. Okay. So that you brought up something that's really interesting to me because... That is sort of the focus of one of my uh, one of my research projects when I was in 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 my master's program, and that is um, injuries, uh, non combat related injuries. So there was a huge study that was done on buds. Uh, uh, it, well, it was done on buds, and it was done. I think it was Ranger School. And they were looking at at the high incidence of stress fractures, um, mm-hmm. and that was stress fractures. I I don't know if you know this. Um, they come from oh, it's an overuse injury. I didn't know that. Um, what are some of the type of overuse injuries, or do you guys really see many injuries because of the training program? The, the most lethal thing to a green beret in the gym is box jumps on homemade oh. crappy wooden boxes with sharp <laughs> edges and guys doing box jumps in Afghanistan. I've seen more guys injured doing those than, you know, any other thing in, in combatants, you know, you think you might get injuries and we joke about it, but yeah, uh, more guys doing CrossFit in our homemade gyms in Afghanistan. <laughs> but when it comes to say stress factors and re- repetitive injuries, I, I joined the Army in the 90s. It was a different era for working out. I was in combat arms. You put on a rucksack and you march. Oh, my and you gosh, yeah. Put miles on your back with a rucksack. Luckily, in the last 15 years, the knowledge of how to train athletes in, like, the colleges and things like that have come over to the military and were able to train a lot smarter. And those injuries are not that prevalent in SF. Uh I used we get criticized all the time because we wear low top hiking shoes. We wear our own hiking shoes out there. And like, what, aren't you guys worried about ankle injuries? I never saw it. Three three tours. I'm wow. sure there's some SF guys that twisted their ankle, but as a whole, I didn't see ankle injuries. I wore everybody wears low top shoes. The army loves high top boots because they minimize the ankle injuries. I didn't see it. Okay, so it's funny that you talk about that and you talk about the rucksack because so I was in the navy for six years on submarines. And then I was in the army after September 11th. Um, I was in the infantry. I was in the national guard first, the one Oh fifth infantry, and then the 69th when we deployed and I had, 
you know, avid hiker. I did a bunch of hiking. You know, I grew up in Boy Scouts and all that stuff. So they were always like, Squid, how can you how can you do all this humping with that rucksack? And it's because there was a guy in the unit who was an old Vietnam uh, Green Beret. And he said, all right, this is what you're going to do. You're going to call this guy. It's a guy called Tactical Taylor. And you're going to get these rucksack straps. And do you, did, did you guys use those, the big padded rucksack straps? I have my original <laughs> rucksack that I wore in selection still, and it has all that extra padding built into it. Oh, my gosh. That and the cummerbund. And because you would get, you would literally get bite and have to go yeah. to the, uh, to the medic and, and say, dude, I think I have cuts on my shoulders from this. It was insane. Now I will say this. I'm a total anti rucksack marching person for physical fitness. Okay. So I joined in the era where that's all you did was ruck march. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys in my age all have bad knees and backs. Carrying 50, 60, 70 pounds on your back for miles on end is a great way to destroy your body if you're doing it every week. My last 10 years of my career, I didn't advocate it. And when it came to endurance work, you're going to live and fight in body armor and kit. And instead of doing rucksack march, we would do a full kit run. Shorter distance, oh, wow. that short burst of high energy. Mm -hmm. uh, why? Why were You need to build up some endurance in your back and things like that. But uh, that's, that's part of the transition of being able to work out smarter. We're not fighting in, in rucksacks. Rucksacks is like an admin thing. You're going to have a, a day pack at the most, but we live and fight out of what body armor and kit. So that, that was one of my focuses in training for missions. Mm -hmm. What are we really wearing on mission? I'm not just going to put it on 60, 70 pounds and walk 20 miles. Why? We're not doing that in combat. So that's interesting because you, a bunch of your videos, I think there was a scar video where you talked about how you were integral to the assessment of the scar for special forces and also mm -hmm. being a senior nco that kind of translates into changes in training uh so you said after the last 10 years you stepped away from rucksacks and moved over towards body armor and short burst um iterations it, have you seen have you had the the so the input you had in the weapons side have you also seen your input integrated into the fitness side the operational well, side I, i'm uh you know i'm from a different era and again i was a 45 year old serving on a team with 20 and 30 year olds mm -hmm. the transition had already happened sort of and i was playing catch up oh all right so, uh, you know, uh, we have a lot of programs. I wanted to bring up a program we have called Thor 3, okay, which was established around 2010. I'm writing uh, a bunch of these it, things down. I'm writing all okay. these things down. So go on. Yep. So there's this program called Thor 3 established about 2010, and, and SOCOM got super smart. They're like, hey, how do universities maintain all these athletes? Mm-hmm. Well, they have, they have coaching staff, they have physical therapists, they have workout coaches, whereas in the Army, they're like, hey, we're just, your NCO's in charge. Well, is, is your NCO an expert on proper strength training? Mm -hmm. So they bring in professionals, and we have these training teams in each group where it's civilian professional trainers at college athletic level. Wow. Strength conditioning coaches, physical therapists. So you can uh, you can have them write up a training program for your team and have it tailored to your mission. 
So for example, getting ready for Afghanistan, I go to the facility and I can say, listen, I've got three months to train my guys up. We're expecting to have to do this type of stuff. Can you get us ready? And they'll, they'll, they'll make a program and they'll coach you through it. Wow. And they also do rehabilitation for wounded warriors. Mm -hmm. So if you wonder if you've ever seen, and there's SF guys out there who are missing a leg, whether it's above the knee or below the knee, and they're serving on an ODA, how these guys get back to the team? They developed a awesome. special uh, physical fitness test for wounded warriors that if they pass, they're deemed operationally ready again. And I, I took the wounded warrior PT test when it was in the pilot program. They wanted you know guys with all limbs to try and do it, and it was hellacious. Oh my gosh! Pass that missing a leg, then you were definitely team ready. So this Thor three program, uh, it's been around since about 2010, and I think the regular army is adopting a similar model now with these strength coaches coming in and helping out soldiers. It's a phenomenal tool uh, that teams can use. Well, that's pretty cool because I remember I told you I came back in 2001. Um, back in the military in 2001 and right around the end of 2002, 2003, the army was pushing this. Do you remember the warrior fitness thing that they were trying to push? Well, I, I was in regular army. So we're, no, we're I'm, I'm sorry. Army. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I, I don't know much about it. I've saw it being developed like the current regular army physical fitness test, which is supposed to prepare you for combat. I think it's a giant uh, boondoggle. Uh, <laughs> that's why I preferred the UBRR, uh, mm -hmm. which a lot of SF teams, at least up until the time I retired in 2017, had chosen to be their team model for, mm -hmm. let's, let's say, let's have a test. Well, I think what a lot of people or a lot of military people, even leadership forget, is originally, this goes, I'm going off on a tangent here. It's okay. The original reason for like the original army PT test was just to show a minimum, like a minimum capability when it was developed in the 60s and 70s. And then in the 80s and 90s, well, now it became this thing. If you score a 300, you're the optimum example. Really, that's just a minimum. That's just to show that you can do something. Uh, I, combat arms, and I grew up in the infantry first, seven years in the infantry. Yes, we did the Army PT test, but still within our units, and this is regular Army, we still had our own standards. Hey, look, mm -hmm. we had a pull-up standard. We had, hey, if you want to really be tough, you know, we had a different push-up standard. So I think the Army trying to make these, uh, uh, you know, PT tests require all this specialized equipment and this and that. Instead of training for the fight, everybody starts training to what? Just pass the PT Yeah, just test. pass the and PT test. completely miss the mark. So... Now you've got this, you've got this Thor three and that's great. You're, you're all prepared to, to, to hit the ground running. Um, yeah. is the mission itself enough of a fitness maintainer? Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. So what do you do in country? Well, uh, either you'll, you'll, You'll either end up at a facility that has a pretty decent gym mm -hmm. or SF guys, we will we'll create it. We'll build gyms. Uh, in the early days in Iraq and Afghanistan, you wanted a gym, you source it, you fund it, you build a town range. <laughs> uh, so it, you could have caveman style gyms where you're lifting rocks and boulders, or you might get some funding and be able to build a decent gym at your team house 
or you'll end up at a you know forward operating base with a fantastic gym that's oh, wow. pretty well established. So it's just pot luck what you're going to get. What's the most creative you've seen in all of your combat tours? I've seen the straight up caveman style, <laughs> like rocks and logs drilled in, and that's pretty, you know, pretty creative. I, I'm not a weightlifter guy. No, it's uh, okay. So, yeah, so I, I I'm never drawn to the gym. I, I I did enough weightlifting so I wouldn't you know be weak. Uh, but yeah, that and I don't, but I've seen teams go crazy. I've seen rock climbing walls at team houses, wow. downrange things like that. Uh, skate parks built. <laughs> Jeez, just, uh, whatever guys are into. Holy yeah. cow! All right, so we've covered the fitness aspect of it, but fitness is fueled by nutrition. Um, yes. MREs are meals ready to eat. For those of you who don't know, MREs are anyone can say what they I like the chip beef one, by the way. Um, I liked it. People were always giving that one away. I'll take it. Um, they are high in calories for a very specific purpose. I think there's something like 5,000 calories per box or something like that which is ridiculous. Um, did you guys primarily fuel off of MREs? Did you guys? No. Nope. No. All right. There you go. One of the reasons, one of the reasons I went special forces to, is to avoid eating MREs. So the only time, the only time you're eating MREs is when you're outside the wire, actually on a mission. Mm -hmm. uh, again, special forces teams are still designed. Like you mentioned in the beginning to be dropped into Vietnam and you self-sustain. That's it. Special forces teams are still set up like that mm -hmm. to be dropped in an area with minimal outside support, meaning you want food, fine. Here's funding, hire a cook, buy your own supplies, uh, make your own kitchen. They're designed that way to live without support. So guys aren't sitting there at FOBs and eating MREs uh, in the rear or on their at their team location. It's only on mission. So at your team location, depending on how creative and how many resources you have, you can either eat really good or maybe eat mediocre. What about eating uh, indigenous? Does that ever happen with you guys? Well, yeah, especially uh, uh, especially in a lot of non-combat deployments, because mm -hmm. SF is all over the world at any one time. In a lot of places, you'll go in and you're going to hire a local cook and you'll give them a contract. Hey, feed this many guys for the next two months. So you're going to eat local food. That's all they know. Okay. And one thing I wanted to, to really bring up here is one of the, I think the biggest misconception when it comes to special forces, we, we need cockroaches. We need guys that can survive on crappy food and still have a high performance level. So if uh, the only one danger, I'd say with the new guys coming into the regiment, if they're used to say eating fantastic and watching their calories and having these balanced protein meals, you're going to lose that on deployments. So you got to be able to last without the best of the best, without your creatine powder and all that stuff. You need guys who are cockroaches who can just eat anything if they have to and still be able to perform. Well, cause that's one of the stories that I heard in another podcast um, where they were talking about, they 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 wound up going to Iraq and the team house not the team I think it was the Navy SEALs they had like cases of protein powder and Cliff bars and just like so there I don't know if it still exists during the middle of Iraq is where we really employed it SOCOM 
uh, you know, views us as high performance athletes. Mm -hmm. So we get supplemented on top of whatever the regular army decides that it needs to provide for nutrition, which include a budget for supplements, energy drinks, protein wow. bars. That's actually uh, supported uh, downrange. I don't know if the program still exists, but yeah. Uh, a funny thing is I like Starbucks. They're cold drinks. They're double shots. <laughs> yep. Well, that's considered an energy drink. And SF would pay for cases of Starbucks double shots when I was in Iraq because, hey, you need it to be high performance. That is awesome. That is so great. Yeah. Now, since they do take that focus, do they give you guys an education on nutrition, on performance nutrition? That's one of the things that this Thor 3 provides. Okay. Uh, one of the things, like they have, they have a nutritionist there. Wow. And again, it, it's tools. If the team wants to explore it, it's still down to the team and that team leadership. Uh, so I'm basing it mainly off my experience. Hey, if, if the special force is going to go ahead and hire experts, why don't I utilize that? So uh, it's just an asset that if team guys want to explore, but it's there now. It's there. It's it's outstanding program. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just another tool guys can use. Because when you're, when you look at a normal dining hall, that's still under regular army standards and they have their own, you know, supposed program to keep soldiers with a balanced diet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, really high performance. You need more than that. Okay, definitely. Um, all right, so I want to finish up by talking about mindset, and I want to read this question because it's it's a little it's a little long winded. So, <laughs> okay. so there is obviously a relationship between the physical standards of special operations for uh, forces and their ability to maintain focus, overcome physical discomfort and to perform at the level required for the complex missions that you guys are given. So with this in mind, how do you guys develop a mindset that helps to achieve success? Is it part of the program and culture? Uh, do you select individuals who have this mindset? Um, and is it something that, so it's interesting you spoke in the last video I watched about you with Combat Mindset about task saturation, which is mm -hmm. phenomenal um, and a subject we could in, uh, give an entire episode to. When you find individuals who have gone through training, everything's fine, hunky-dory, they are getting the best marks, but then, they real, then you guys realize in leadership that task uh, saturation is a problem for an individual. Do they get filed out, so to speak? It depends on the context. Task saturation in training, if they can't handle it, then, yeah, there's mechanisms that, okay, this guy is not the best performance on a team. We'll send him to a B team or maybe staff time or maybe to another team to see if he's just not jiving to try and correct him. Task saturation in combat, that's that's you can't hold it to – can't hold it against somebody unless mm -hmm. uh, because again, everybody I think probably has some breaking point. Uh, and this talks about like the, the stress within a firefight. Uh, and yes, in my, my mindset video, I'll talk about times where I witnessed guys just right there on the edge, start to break down. You can't hold them against it because we're all trying to train for the unknown. Mm -hmm. I had the benefit of having served in combat before. And I had, you know, my last tour, I already had, a, what 20 years experience 
so you can't totally hold it against say a 22, 23 year old coming through a team. I can't view his experience through my prism of what I've seen. So you got to give him some leeway and you just hope when you're out on mission that you can ease guys into the situation and build that up. Uh, but in the case of that video, yeah, we were in one uh, hellacious firefight that lasted all day. Wow. And yeah, some guys can start out strong, but if some bad things start happening, it can chip away at anybody's confidence. So as I asked um, at the beginning of the question, and it was a long-winded question, but you guys are looking for that in the Q course. You guys are, and you brought up that something. Whole, Go on. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That That is the whole purpose of selection. Selection does a pretty good job not only testing physical endurance, but it is a mental endurance too. Uh, you get very little instructions on what to do. Uh, and of course, they're given all these tasks, like create this thing to drag crates or this and that is with mental exercises to see how well guys can perform under pressure. So that's built in at the beginning. And then hopefully you're on a team that does good team training that's going to replicate the stressors that you'll probably expect downrange. So is there any mechanism or infrastructure in, in place for deflation? So you go and you, inf I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of contextualizing it by using this weird example, but you have all these combat experiences and this inflation of stressors, internal and stressors start to develop. I, I, I know from the beginning of the global war on terror, there were there was no deflation mechanism. Um, you went to army medical or army psych. Um, I've known guys who went to it and that was the end of your journey, so to speak. Now with the long-term aspect of the global war on terror, did they start to put in a deflation mechanism for you guys? I'll, this is uh this is probably the one bitter point in my career. And okay. I'll speak from my experience only up until my era when I retired in 2017 during the high times of the war on terror, no matter what SF group you're serving on, you're you're doing seven to 10 months downrange, seven to 10 months back home. And you could be doing this for years. I have six combat deployments in the Middle East. This is the first time it's ever been done. If you look at World War II Vietnam, you were downrange. Vietnam, you did one tour, maybe two, but you weren't on and off for years at a time. So there's SF guys out there, comrades I served with, when you add up their months in combat, total time, they've surpassed the entire length of World War II. If Jeez. somebody served at the beginning of battle of World War II and was there for the signing on the battleship, I think it's a total of 42 months if you were Marine serving mm -hmm. in World War II. And you have guys with years of seven to 10 on and off. And from what I've seen, SF has not done a good job. It's chewed guys up and spit them out physically and mentally. Uh, and that's where they need to step up their game. There's a whole generation of guys out there. And I know, I know them. Uh, the Army talks about their high suicide rates of 22 a day. It's even higher in the special operations side, alcohol problems, PTSD problems. Because you have guys in that, in that cycle. Uh, I did it in fifth group. I was doing seven on, seven off. Mm -hmm. I did that for you know, a little over three years, three tours, and then you get to third group and you were doing seven to 10 on and then off wow. years back to back. So it's uh it's a whole new dy dynamic. And that's why I think 
we're having all these issues are so more prevalent now than when you compare them to Vietnam, World War II, Korea, because this is the first time you're asking guys to go five, six, seven, eight years of this on and off, on and off. See, it's interesting because when I was in the Navy, um, I told you I was on submarines. I was on boomers. So though boomers are, you probably know, but they're nuclear missile, uh, ballistic missile cruises. And you go and you do three on and three off. Um, you have two crews, a gold crew and a blue crew. And I remember coming back and, and I became the senior lookout. I, I strive to make that watch so I could be the senior lookout for a very selfish reason, because that's the first person who cracks the hatch and goes up and breathes that briny air. Now, I know there were guys just from that, and and it's stressful, but nowhere near as stressful as deployment into a combat zone. But the isolation, the, the nonstop, and there were programs in place to help people deflate from that um that's one place maybe maybe the army can look at i know it doesn't seem like it parallels but from a psychology perspective maybe it does um but at least it's a place to start right um yeah um i do have to say thank you so much for being so candid about that i really appreciate that and the and the viewers it will absolutely help what do you think can be done because now i'm thinking about mindset and i'm thinking about what you said can that be something that's integrated into the initial train up you know uh psychological tool sets that can be given to new SF soldiers. Um, there, there's, there is, there's a lot of, they are looked at at, at the psychological level. Mm -hmm. And I was never a, a pipeline or a uh, instructor for the Q for that part of the Q course. I mm -hmm. did the advanced stuff. So there are, there are things in play. They have psychologists that, you know, test guys and, and do all this stuff. And I had to go through it myself. Uh, so that's looked at to weed out, you know, what they deem is okay. Somebody not ready. The term they use out there, they call it the whole man concept. Mm -hmm. So you just can't excel in one area and be weak in another. You know, uh, to put it simply, you can't be like, oh, this guy can run, run like a demon. He has zero upper body strength. Well, it's the same thing with how much stress or leadership styles they have too. And that's why part of the selection process, you're going to be put in charge of an event just to see how well you, you manage that stress to see if you can, you know, task organized guys and things like that. So you are, you're tested uh, with that uh, somewhat in the selection process. But how do you think the special forces community would respond to some type of, of, yeah, I guess it's how it would be framed, right? Some type of dealing with your inner demons, you know, the demons that showed up on your countless deployments how do you think that they would respond to getting help because i know that you know no one wants to go for me in the infantry no one wanted to go to medical you didn't want to be uh uh, uh what is it a uh, sick call ranger um yeah guys guys want to be on a team they want to deploy they want to leave their teammates and i get it i was in that environment 
Uh, you feel like you're letting your teammates down, so you want to go, go, go. And of course, you're going to do it. You're going to do your best. That's why you went into special operations. I don't have the answer. I'm not, I'm not okay. smart enough. I've only seen the after effects. I've, I have, you know, you're, nobody escapes combat un, unharmed. You might make it out physically, but later down the road, if you're truly in it, that, you know, we're not just talking, oh, I got a pop shot at me. The guys who are truly in it, nobody escapes unscathed mentally in some form. All right. Again, thank you so much for the candidness. It's, it's kind of, of a this. somber ending. But yeah. <laughs> no, it's the best place to end because it's it's the culmination of everything. You know what I mean? We're trying to tell people with this episode what to expect, how to prepare, and you are the perfect person to do that. And you have the experience and you have the knowledge and you are an incredible communicator. So Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. Uh, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, and again, head on over to www.sandlfit.com. Almost screwed up my own URL. Um, and pick up some merchandise. Um, all right. That's it. Later. <laughs>